following message is presented by Fellowship Bible Church from its weekly pulpit ministry. We offer an expositional study through entire books of the Bible, one verse, paragraph, or chapter at a time. We pray that you'll be blessed by listening in. Thanks for visiting. Good morning again, everyone. It's good to see you all out there. Good to see you, Jim. Are you uh, still doing okay as far as you know? <laughs> That's his standard answer. I like that answer. Yeah, because uh, if, uh, if you don't know, there, there's something going on good, I guess. It's, it's all right. Maybe not perfect, but uh, yeah, that's good. Well, we're glad that you're here this morning and glad that you're uh, watching online. I trust uh, we're live for you as well. Let's turn our Bibles to Isaiah 64, please. Isaiah 64. Oh, that you would rend the heavens, that you would come down, that the mountains might shake at your presence. As fire burns brushwood, as fire causes water to boil, to make your name known to your adversaries, that the nations may tremble at your presence. When you did awesome things for which we did not look, you came down. The mountains shook at your presence, for since the beginning of the world, men have not heard nor perceived by the ear, nor has the eye seen any God besides you who acts for the one who waits for him. You meet him who rejoices and does righteousness, who remembers you in your ways. You are indeed angry, for we have sinned. In these ways we continue, and we need to be saved. But we are all like an unclean thing, and all our righteousnesses are like filthy rags. We all fade as a leaf, and our iniquities, like the wind, have taken us away. And there is no one who calls on your name, who stirs himself up to take hold of you. For you have hidden your face from us and have consumed us because of our iniquities. But now, O Lord, you are our Father, we are the clay, and you our potter. And all we are the work of your hand. Do not be furious, O Lord, nor remember iniquity forever. Indeed, please look, we are all your people. Your holy cities are a wilderness. Zion is a wilderness. Jerusalem a desolation. Our holy and beautiful temple, where our fathers praised you, is burned up with fire, and all our pleasant things are laid waste. Will you restrain yourself because of these things, O Lord? Will you hold your peace and afflict us very severely? We'll have to wait till the night to uh, follow on with that in uh, chapter uh, 65. We uh, like to, uh, at this time, invite Nathan and Hannah to share with us a ministry of music, and they will come right on up here and do that, and we'll enjoy that ministry. Thank you. There is peace and contentment in the Father's house today. Lots of food on his table, and no one is turned away. There is singing and laughter as the hours pass by. But a hush calms the singing as the Father sadly Beyond the house of plenty lies a field of golden grain, and it's white unto harvest, but the reapers, where are they? 
forward to ministry from the Word from Nathan Schrock, uh, ministering uh, in, well, soon to be ministering, we trust, in uh, Ivory Coast with his wife. Uh, you grew up there, didn't you? Yes, okay, so uh, that's very good. Listen, um, when missionaries come to the church, obviously they're hoping that the church will partner with them and come alongside them and certainly pray for them. Uh, I think I saw a prayer uh, list out there on the table, didn't I? So you could sign up there if you want to receive their prayer letters. Uh, I believe our, my email will be on there, so we're going to bring their prayer letters to our prayer meetings on Wednesday nights and uh, be praying for them at least then. Um, and that's one way that we can minister to missionaries. They also, on, on their ministry now, which is called by many deputation, but some might call it home assignment, or I don't know what you call it, but uh, the ministry of the missionary is just that, to minister to the church, to serve us, to call uh, us to faithfulness to the Lord, to hear the word of God through a different voice, uh, even just this song right now. Think about that. We enjoy time at the Lord's table speaking not just of the communion, but of a more in a broader sense in his family. But, uh, you know, sometimes uh, we ought to lift up our eyes and look out on the hot fields uh, where there's some work to be done out there. You know, it might be a little uncomfortable, might be a little hot and sweaty, but there is work to be done. And uh, that, that song helped us think about that subject. And uh, so missionaries come and minister to us, and we need to ask how we can minister to them. And so let's be an encouragement to uh, Nathan and Hannah today and their family, and, and we look forward to them being an encouragement to us as well. We'll be able to have some table fellowship after this meeting, so you'll get to know them a little bit better, hopefully, uh, with uh, a little conversation, fellowship questions and all of that. So looking forward to it. We pray God will bless in this hour just now. Nathan, would you come and share the word? Thank you so much, brother. Thank you. Thank you. All right, we have already enjoyed being here this morning, and uh, I greatly enjoyed the Sunday school hour and the attentiveness and the questions that we were able to uh, interact with you uh, with there, and I trust that you'll have a chance to stop by our table in the back. Pastor mentioned that, and um, I neglected to say uh, much about it at all in, in Sunday school um, or in the last service, but... Um, please stop by there, and there are some uh, some things there that are kind of uh, representative of the culture and the 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 country of the Ivory Coast, and and we love to if we can uh, explain some of those things. And there's some candy there, and I'll give a warning because um, I've I've been told I haven't actually tried it yet. It's African candy, but I've been told that the green candy, the ginger. Uh, candy there is is very spicy, so just watch out if you if you don't like spicy candy, uh, maybe steer clear of that. But please grab a, a piece of candy, maybe one per customer, but uh, help yourself there. And as Pastor said, please sign up if you'd like to stay updated with what we're doing and how the Lord is providing and leading in our ministry. We send out a prayer letter every um, usually two to three months. We don't send it, you know, we won't load up your inbox um, too much. But if you'd like to stay connected, please leave your email address with us there. And then one last thing, if you grab our prayer card, it has our website address on the back. And much of what we talked about this morning and information about the Ivory Coast and things like that are on our website, including the video that we watched this morning. So if you didn't get a chance to catch that, you weren't, weren't able to make it or whatever, uh, that's available on our website. There's on our About page, there's a link where you can go and watch that video if you'd like to see uh, 
if you'd like to see that again or, or if you missed it this morning. Yes, sir. Okay. All right. More uh, height appropriate. There we go. Romans chapter 11 this morning is where we'll be. I sometimes say that I'm, uh, at the outset of a message, I'll say, don't worry, I'm a short preacher. But, uh, you know, if I'm working on your car, I'm a short mechanic. And uh, anyway, you'll get that one later maybe. But Romans chapter 11 is where we'll be. Um, and we're going to begin at the end of the, end of the uh, chapter here. But I think that many times when we, uh, we look at the writings of Paul, which the book of Romans is, written by the Apostle Paul, many times we, uh, we have a tendency to grab one verse or one, one you know, set of verses or passage that uh, fits what we, we want to say, and perhaps we don't misapply it, but we kind of miss something by taking it out of the greater uh, context in which it was written. And because that's because the Apostle Paul, many times as he's writing, his thought will continue. Uh, he'll have this logical progression that will go on for verse, you know, actually chapter after chapter many times. Uh, and, and if we just grab one thought out of the middle, we kind of miss that, uh, the, the greater thought that the Apostle Paul has in mind. So this morning I'd like to look at a verse that we're probably very familiar with, but I want to see it in its, uh, not its greatest context, because we're not going to look at the entire book of Romans this morning, but a little bit broader of a view and uh, see what, it, what we can learn from it this morning. I want to walk through this passage so that we can see the thought process that's going on and, and that we can learn from it this morning and draw closer to the Lord. First of all, I want to begin in verse number 33. Romans chapter 11, verse number 33. The scripture says, Oh, the depth of the riches, both of the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and his ways past finding out. For who hath known the mind of the Lord, or who hath been his counselor? Or who hath first given to him, and it shall be recompensed unto him again, or paid back? word recompense simply means to, to be reimbursed or to pay back. For of him and through him and to him are all things, to whom be glory forever. Amen. And the Apostle Paul continues with no chapter break in the original language. The Apostle Paul says, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that ye present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. Let's begin with a word of prayer this morning and we'll dive into this passage. Thank you, Lord, for the opportunity that we have to gather around your word. And I pray that as we uh, search it out and we seek what it is uh, that was meant when these words were written, we seek what it, what it uh, has to say to us today. I pray that you would speak to each and every one of our hearts and that we would be open, that we'd be listening what it is you want to say. And it's in Christ's name I pray. Amen. First of all, as we begin the thought, as the Apostle Paul lays out what he's talking about here, he says, Oh, the depth of the riches, both of the wisdom and knowledge of God. We have to understand, though, what are the wisdom and knowledge of God? What is the Apostle Paul talking about here? Knowledge, I think, is, is a pretty simple concept. We're, we're pretty familiar with what knowledge is, right? What's the root word of the word knowledge? It's, you could just say it out loud, right? It's to know, right? So knowledge really is, when we boil it down to its root concept, knowledge is what we know. You know, what, when we're talking about the, uh, uh, what God knows, that's a, that's a uh, great and infinite subject that the Apostle Paul is diving into here. But wisdom is slightly more complicated, I would say. Uh, wisdom has more to do with how we use what we know, how knowledge is applied. It includes uh, the idea of, of discernment or making judgments and decisions. That's included in the idea of wisdom. Maybe it's been said 
uh, maybe you've heard someone say, knowledge is knowing that a, a tomato is a fruit, but wisdom is not putting it in a fruit salad. Uh, maybe you've heard that before, but uh, I heard I mentioned that recently, and uh, someone came up to me and they said, "You know what? Um, philosophy is wondering if ketchup is a fruit smoothie." Um, so anyway, that's the next next logical step. But that that kind of illustrates the difference between wisdom and knowledge, right? Knowledge is is what you know. Wisdom is that, that knowledge put into practice. It's how we make decisions based on that on that on what we know, how we make uh, judgments. As it pertains to God, I would, I would put it this way. I'd say that His wisdom is what determines what He does and why He does it. We look at what God does in, in, in and around us, and we say that is God's wisdom in action. But Paul here, he's making a declaration about the character of God. He says, oh, the depth of the wisdom and knowledge of God. How many of you have ever been to the Grand Canyon? Anyone? Okay, wow, good, good percentage of the crowd here this morning. A number of years ago, probably, probably five years ago, had the opportunity of being out that direction five or six years ago and uh, stopped by the Grand Canyon and, uh, you know, the funny thing about the Grand Canyon is that all of us, more or less, we know what the Grand Canyon looks like, right? You've seen pictures. You, you know what it looks like. But when you're standing there on the edge of the Grand Canyon, it doesn't really look like the pictures. I mean, it does, but it's so different. Because as you look across, you, the, the Grand Canyon... Um, for. For those, if, for, if you don't know the, you know the, the all the specifications and everything, I don't expect you to. But from the top of the rim, my understanding from the highest point to the lowest point of the canyon is over six thousand feet. That's well over a mile that the Grand Canyon goes straight into the ground. It's absolutely mind-blowingly large. And uh, as you stand there on the edge of it and you look across to the other side, it kind of plays tricks with your mind. Because uh, you look across and you say, I can see the other side, right over there. But your mind can't calculate how far that, how far away it is. You know, because we're used to looking down the street and we say, oh, that looks like it's about a quarter mile away. Or, you know, or that building, you know, that's, oh, about, you know, 400 yards away. And your mind is used to calculating distances like that. But when you look across and you say, I don't really know if that tree is a, is a 60 foot tall uh, pine tree or if it's a little shrub. I don't know if the other side is, is a mile away or if it's six miles away. Your mind, can't, it's too big for your mind to comprehend the distance. It's too big to wrap your mind around it. And I kind of think that's, that must be a little bit of the emotion that's in the Apostle Paul's mind as he looks at the, the, as he's contemplating the, the character, the wisdom and the knowledge of God. And he says, Oh, the depth. He says, I can't wrap my mind around it. We can't look at the, the, the length and the breadth and the height and the depth of the wisdom and knowledge of God. We can't look at it and say, I think it's about that big. It's totally beyond us. It's beyond our comprehension. If we can look across and see the other side of it, our mind cannot comprehend how big it is. He says, oh, the depth of the riches, both of the wisdom and knowledge of God. He continues, how unsearchable are his judgments and his ways past finding out. What Paul is telling us here is that what God knows and what God does, his knowledge and the application of that knowledge and his wisdom, they're so immensely deep that we cannot possibly understand their depth. That's what makes God who he is. His wisdom and knowledge that are totally beyond our understanding. Uh, if, if God was within our boundaries, uh, the, within the boundaries of our minds to understand Him, uh, He wouldn't. He would cease to be God. But let's move on in verse number thirty-four because I believe the Apostle Paul is going to continue to develop this thought a little bit. He says, "For who hath known the mind of the Lord, or who hath been?" His counselor. Now, pastor, I'm sure as uh, as in the role of a pastor, you have the opportunity many times of giving counsel 
to someone. Maybe many of you have had the opportunity of giving counsel, maybe not as a, in the role of a, of a, uh, a counselor, but what is the idea of giving counsel? It's simply, it, it really has the idea of giving advice. You know, it's the idea of when, when someone comes to you and they say, I, I'm in a tough spot. I, I have a decision to make, and I really need, to, need you to tell me what would you do in this situation, or what would you, uh, what do you think that I should do? The idea of counseling someone is giving advice. What Paul is giving us here in this verse is it's a rhetorical question. Rhetorical question simply meaning that it's a, it's a rhetorical device. It's a, a manner of speaking that is to prove a point. And the answer is already understood. He's asking a question already knowing the answer because he's trying to prove a point. What's the question? He says, who comes to God to give God advice? Who's, the image is, is of, a, of a person sitting God down in a chair and saying, Lord, this is what I think. This is what I want to give you a piece of advice, a piece of my mind, so to speak, and I, I think you ought to hear it. <laughs> well, that's ridiculous. That's why it's a rhetorical question. The answer is obviously understood. Who can give God counsel? The understood answer is no one. No one can be in that position of offering counsel to God. No one is smarter than God, so no one can give him counsel. God is the final authority. No one tells him what to do. Now, Paul is not saying that we cannot know God and comprehend the nature of God through his word. In fact, I believe that's uh, the purpose of the scripture is to reveal the true God. He's making a point here that God's thoughts are always deeper and wiser. His ways are always higher than ours. So as we move on in verse number 35, we're going to continue. The Apostle Paul says, Or who hath first given to him, and it shall be recompensed unto him again. He asks the question, essentially, who gives something to God or loans something to him and God pays him back or, or reimburses him? This is kind of an interesting thought the Apostle Paul is bringing out here, uh, but I, I think it's rooted in the concept of the borrower, uh, it, it, the, the fact that a borrower is servant to the lender. When something is owed, the person that is in debt is, in a way, a servant to the lender. You know, if you have a uh, a, uh, a car, you know, that you're making payments on, uh, in a way, the 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 whoever financed that for you, you know, that has a handle on you. Uh, if you are your house, you know, you have a mortgage, and the bank, in a in a small way. You could say they, they have a little bit of a handle, a little bit of control on you, and you're sort of a servant because you owe them money. But the Apostle Paul says, who gives something to God expecting it to be paid back, and God owes him in return? You know, have you ever been given something, and uh, you found out later that uh, it wasn't quite a free gift? You, you, something was expected in return. Uh, that's not really a great feeling, but uh, when I was a kid, I was really bad about this. And uh, so you, none of you, well, I don't see too many younger people in here, so maybe I'm safe. But don't don't copy me, okay? Um, what I would do when I was a kid, I would go to a friend's birthday party. Yeah, you know, that's a fun time. You know, you want to bring a good gift uh, that's going to make your friend happy. And for me, it was always something that my parents had provided for me to, you know, to give to my friends. Uh, because I didn't, you know, my parents would buy the gift and I would bring it to the party and give it to my friend. Well, what would happen? I would bring a, a you know, a super soaker or a, you know, some kind of a dart gun. I don't know, I don't, you know, exactly what it would be, but some kind of neat gift that my friend was happy to get. And uh, after everything was all said and done, we'd eaten the 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 cake and ice cream and whatnot. I would come to my friend and I'd say, "Hey, um, could I play with that? Uh, because after all, I gave it to you." And uh, now, don't do that. That's terrible, uh, terrible practice. Uh, but what's the idea? It's giving something and then expecting something in return. You might get away with that when you give something to your friend. Uh, you know, you might get away with that with a with a human interaction on a human level, 
But you won't get away with that attitude with God. Because what the Apostle Paul is saying here is that no one gives something to God, and then God is put in the position of being a servant to the lender. You don't give God a loan and come back to collect on it later. If you gave something to Him, it's His. Now, Paul, the Apostle Paul, I believe, is reinforcing this idea that we're talking about, the sovereignty and the power of God. As we move on to verse number 36, don't worry, we're going to sum things up here. Uh, so just stick with me. Verse number 36, he, he, he says, For of him and through him and to him are all things, to whom be glory forever. Amen. For of him and through him and to him are all things. It's interesting that there are three different prepositions that are used here. The first one, when he says, for of him are all things, in the original language especially, it has the idea of it, that it comes from him. It proceeds out of him. He's the source, is the idea that the Apostle Paul is getting across here. He's the source of all things. I hope you believe with me this morning that God is the ultimate source of everything that we see. Uh, we, don't, we won't take the time this morning to go back to Genesis and to see the origin of the universe. But as the Apostle Paul says, for of him are all things. He's reaffirming this fact that everything comes from God. John tells us that without him was not anything made, that was made. Nothing exists out, outside of God's creation. But as he, as he continues, he says, for, so he's establishing the ground, the, the, the ground rule or the, um, the basis of his thought here. He says, for of him are all things. In other words, all things proceed out of or have as their source the true God. But then he says, and through him are all things. This word through him has the idea that everything is continuing to exist through the power of God. I think it would be helpful to look at a parallel passage here over in Colossians. If you'd like to turn with me to Colossians chapter 1, we're going to look at a couple verses here that kind of provide a parallel uh, statement saying essentially the same thing that Paul says here, but in a different way. The scripture is talking about the Lord Jesus Christ, the Son of God, in verse number 16. We'll begin in verse number 16. Colossians 1, 16 says, For by him were all things created that are in heaven and that are in earth, visible and invisible, whether they be thrones or dominions or principalities or powers, all things were created by him and for him. I look at verse number 17. And he is before all things, and by him all things consist. The scripture tells us, tells us that not only were all things created by him, but by his power, through his hands, everything consists. The idea is that it's held together. As much as, as we look around us and we say that the world is falling apart, it kind of looks that way, doesn't it? It looks like everything's, we're losing control. Uh, everything's spinning out of control. But I'm here to assure you this morning that everything is contained firmly in the grasp of the hand of God. The world that we live in, the scripture tells us, by him all things consist. It's held together through his power. So we've seen that all things are of him. Everything exists through him. And then he says, and to him are all things. We find again the, the parallel in Colossians. I already read it, so you don't have to turn there, but... The statement that he said, he is before 
all things. Or as Paul said it, and to him are all things. What's the idea? The idea is that the creation, everything that God made, and everything that, that has its, its source in him, that proceeds out of him, everything that exists now through his power, has as its ultimate goal and its ultimate fulfillment the glorification of him. Everything is pointed like one giant arrow at God himself. As we look around us, we see the creation that he has made, and it points to him. We see uh, throughout the scriptures, the, the, the entirety of the scripture that he has given us points to him. So we can start to get an, a little bit of an idea of what the Apostle Paul is saying when he says, For of him and through him and to him are all things. And he finishes with this phrase, To whom be glory forever. Amen. God's authority and supremacy is based on his role as the creator. We won't dig too deeply into this uh, right now, but I want you to know that God, as the creator, his role, uh, his role as the creator defines uh, his role as the, the supreme being of the universe. He created it, and so it's all in his grasp. He has complete power over it. So I want to sum up these verses that we've, that we've looked at so far and kind of step, zoom out a little bit so that we can see what, what we're looking at. First of all, the Apostle Paul said that God has immense knowledge and immense wisdom beyond our understanding is so gr- so great that we can't possibly understand the depth of it. His mind is beyond our understanding. No one tells God what to do. No one can give God counsel. No one sits God down and gives Him advice. He's far above us. And God does... He's not, he is never put in the position of being a servant to anyone. He does not owe anyone anything. And then this verse that we just looked at, he says, All things come out of him, exist through him, and ultimately find their, their uh, fulfillment and satisfaction in his glorification. Now, with that whole thought process rolling, what the Apostle Paul is, is uh, telling us about the character of God, he's laid down, this is who God is. Now with that whole thought process rolling, he rolls right on through into chapter 12 and verse number 1. And he says, I beseech you, therefore, brethren. The the word beseech here is translated, in some places it's it's translated implore or ask. It's the idea of a request. It can even mean to beg. It's, It's the idea of a sincere, serious request. It's urgent. And as the Apostle Paul writes to brethren, he says, I beseech you, I'm begging you, sit up and pay attention. Maybe by this point, you know, 12 or 11 chapters into the book, uh, as they're reading it in the church, maybe some people, maybe the Apostle Paul knew a few people would have started to doze off, you know, getting a little deep into the theology. And he's saying, hey, listen up, pay attention. I have a sincere, a serious request. He says, this is important. Sit up and pay attention. And what's he ask? He says, I beseech you, therefore, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice. Based on everything that the Apostle Paul is saying, he says, I I beg you to present yourself as a sacrifice to Christ. The word therefore here is, it's easy to brush over, and uh, it's, you know, it's just a little word, but it's very important here. It's, a, it's very significant because it shows a logical progression of thought. It's a term of logic. In college, I had the opportunity to um, uh, take a class in logic. It was quite interesting. Um, if you've ever studied, the, the field of logic is, you know, it gets a little bit technical, but... 
really, it's 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 supposed to be logical, right? So uh, it's not that bad. But um, one of the things that we learned was that you can make a therefore statement. It's called a syllogism. When you have a couple of statements that you know are true, you can say, therefore, I know this other thing is true. And uh, one of the statements that or a, a common one um, that we'd use for illustration purposes, we'd say that all cows have four legs. Right? That's a generally true statement, right? Um, we can say that's, that's kind of a law of nature. All cows have four legs. And then we could say, well, secondly, um, Betsy is a cow. And so based on those two statements that we know to be true, we can draw a third statement. We can say, therefore... Um, Betsy has four legs, right? That's the concluding statement. Therefore, we know this is true. It's based, the logic is based on those first two statements. I have to be careful because um, I was talking, I was given an illustration uh, about this, about logic once, and um, I accidentally said Becky, and there was someone in the audience named Becky, and I said Becky is a cow. And so I hope, anyway, I don't want to mess that one up. But uh, the idea is that based on this statement and this statement, we know that this is true. Therefore, Betsy has four legs. So when we look at this scripture, the Apostle Paul, is he's, he's laying down statements about the character of God. He says God's knowledge is so deep. His wisdom is beyond our understanding. No one it puts God in a position of servitude. He is the creator. Everything exists to glorify him. And then he says, therefore, I beg you to give yourself to him. I beg you, present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God. This sacrifice that he's talking about, uh, you know, we... I'm sure we get different ideas in in our minds that when we think about something being a sacrifice. You know, for me, the mental image usually comes into my mind uh, is that the in the Old Testament when they would come to uh, offer a sacrifice that that would be killed and laid down on the altar. But he's here. He's talking about a living sacrifice. So what's the what's the root idea of a sacrifice? Well, I like. Uh, how one dictionary put this, I think is a pretty accurate statement of what a sacrifice is. This dictionary said, it's an act of giving up something valued for the sake of something else regarded as more important or worthy. It's the act of giving up something valued that is something that is valuable to me. It's important to me. Giving that up, laying it down on the altar as a sacrifice for the sake of something else regarded as more important or worthy. And in this case, I would say someone else regarded as more important or worthy. It's when you and I lay down ourselves on the altar to Christ regarding him as more important and more worthy. This is a voluntary sacrifice. He says, uh, I beseech you, I beg you that you present your body as a living sacrifice. It's a, a presentation is not something that is forced and it is uh, exploited or, or um, I'm thinking of the right word, but um, it's not something that's forced out of you. It's something that you do willingly. You lay down yourself on the altar. Now let's look at the the remainder of this verse and and uh, take it. We'll, we'll look at the rest of the verse here and then we'll sum it up and and be finished this morning. He says uh, he continues. He says regarding the sacrifice. He says, "I beseech you that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God." In, re- in regards to the, the type of sacrifice that we ought to be, as we bring ourselves to Christ and we lay down ourselves, sacrifice our, our bodies, our lives, things that are valuable to us, we give for the sake of Him because we regard Him as more important or valuable. As we do that, He says, you have to do this in a way that is holy and acceptable unto God. 
I believe that the holiness of God is, um, we could, we could talk all day about different characteristics of God. You know, God is, He's omniscient. He knows everything. We've already talked about that. He's, He's omnipresent. He is everywhere. Um, but above all, I believe, God is holy. We could say that kind of the umbrella that overshadows everything that, that God does and who God is, the overarching principle is that God is holy. What's the idea of being holy? It's the idea of being set apart, totally separated from unholiness. You know, if something is, is uh, completely separate, it, it's not mixed together. I think of... Um, Uh, to me, that this uh, this reminds me of um, uh, if you've ever known someone that had an allergy to a uh, a particular you know maybe a, a peanut allergy or something like that. It's so strong that that person uh, they cannot even eat something that was prepared on the same surface or in proximity to peanuts or, or, you know, whatever it is that they have that allergy to. It has to be completely set apart. It has to be totally separated because if there's anything contaminating it, there's going to be dire consequences. And that's, in a way, that's, it's a flawed picture, but I, I want you to, to wrap your mind a little bit around what we mean when we say God is holy. He is not mixed. He's completely set apart from, from everything else. He's completely other. He is, he is um, set apart from sinfulness and from the world. And so when we, as we give ourselves as a sacrifice to him, it has to be in a holy way. We have to be setting ourselves apart from unholiness. We have to be separating ourselves not just from unholiness, but to holiness, to God. Acceptable unto God means the kind of sacrifice that God wants to accept. A holy sacrifice. So when we take this together, I believe what Paul is saying here is that we are to be, uh, I get the idea that we are to set ourselves apart and yield ourselves totally and completely to being the kind of sacrifice that God wants us to be. But as he finishes uh, this verse, at least as how it's divided in our Bible, he finishes the verse with these words. He says, which is your reasonable service? Which is your reasonable service? In, in regards to everything he's said so far, he says, I, I remember what he's asking. I'm begging you to lay down yourself on the altar as a living sacrifice to God. He says, by the way, it's your reasonable service. What's the idea of something being reasonable? To me, it just makes sense. When we say something is unreasonable, it doesn't make sense. Uh, perhaps you've had the opportunity of, or you've been in the situation of buying something where you said, man, that is just totally unreasonable, uh, that price that they're asking um, for that house or that car or, or whatever it is. You know, that is just ridiculous. And uh, recently, a few, uh, well, a couple years ago, um, probably was Han- Hannah and I were in a in a mall, and uh, we were just waiting for some friends and uh, kind of walking around. And we we walked into this little store that was a home furnishing store, and uh, they had a lot of different things, light fixtures, tables, furniture, you know, all that kind of stuff. And I could kind of tell that it was a little bit of a you know an uh, uppity type of store, uh, not one that I was used to being in. And uh, as I walked around, I I saw a nice leather chair. Now, it wasn't like a big lazy boy recliner chair, uh, just a basic leather chair. Um, it didn't look like it reclined or did anything special, uh, but evidently it was real leather. And so I, I was like, you know, I'm just wondering how how much this thing costs. So I, I bent over and look at the price tag, and it says twenty four ninety nine. Now, it didn't mean $24.99. This was a $2,500 chair that I was looking at. Now, don't worry, I didn't buy it. Um, but, uh, you know, as I, that is mind blowing to me. Now, some of you, I don't know the way you're looking at me. Maybe you, you have those kind of chairs. I don't know. Um, if you do, we, maybe we could swing by and I could try sitting in it. But, 
Um, to me, that's just, why would you pay, like, that's the price of a used car where I come from. Uh, that, it, it better at least recline if I'm going to pay $2,500 for a chair. That, that's the idea of something being unreasonable. It doesn't make sense. There's, there's no, no way in my mind does that make any sense at all. But yet, as the Apostle Paul is making his request... He's laying it down on the line. He says, I'm begging you, friends, brethren, give yourself to God totally and completely. Set apart a holy sacrifice. He says it just makes sense. It just makes sense. Why does it just make sense? Well, let's go back to that therefore statement. The Apostle Paul said, as we, as we zoom out one more time here, look at the, the whole statement that we've looked at this morning. I want to sum it all up. Paul said, based on who God is, he said his wisdom and knowledge are infinitely deeper than ours. He is, not, he, he is no one's servant. No one tells God what to do. He said... God is the creator. He created everything. He knows how the world works because he made it. It exists through his power, through the power of his hands. And it's ultimately created with the goal of glorifying him. And the the Apostle Paul says, Therefore, I beg you to yield yourself to him as a living sacrifice. And he says, by the way, it just makes sense. It just makes sense. My friends, this morning I'm here to tell you that no matter in what way, in what area, in what facet of life God asks you to yield yourself to Him, it just makes sense to yield to Him. Christian, this morning, the Apostle Paul was writing to brethren He said, I beseech you, I beg you to yield yourself to him. I haven't been around many decades on the earth, but I've been around long long enough to learn that we as humans, we have a tendency, uh, we have a tendency not to be yielded to the Savior. As Christians, uh, it's not a one-time deal uh, to lay ourselves down and say, Lord, you know, I give my life to you. Uh, whatever it is that you want me to do with it, uh, you know, you can have it. That is an ongoing lifestyle. That is an ongoing decision that has to be made. You know, I think probably for most of us, every day is a challenge of being yielded to the Savior. You know, for, for a young person, I don't know, I, I don't know, uh, everyone here and specifics of God, how, how God might use the message this morning in your heart. But, you know, for you young people, if God tells you, you need to do, you need to take this path with your life. You need to be this person. Uh, you need to, you need to follow me and yield your life to me. I want to tell you that it just makes sense to do what he's telling you. It just makes sense because of who he is. Because God knows everything. His knowledge is, you cannot pit your mind against God's and say, God, I think I know better. It doesn't work that way. Also, the Apostle Paul said it just makes sense to be yielded to him. Friends, wherever it is, in the, in the workplace, where God says, you need to be a, a, a witness for me. May I tell you that it, it just makes sense to be yielded to him? In the family, where God says, or, or the Holy Spirit convicts, and He says, "You need to, you need to give this, this practice up, or you need to uh, be yielded to the Holy Spirit in in this area." Can I tell you that it just makes sense to follow Him? It just makes sense to be yielded on the altar of sacrifice to the Savior. But friends, this morning, as you know, as I said, I don't know everyone here. As Pastor mentioned, if uh, it's very possible, someone. Uh, it could be someone here that does not know the Savior. We talked about in Sunday school that uh, 
salvation is a gift from God, requires us to repent, to change our minds, to change our direction, where we rely on ourselves. We, we, we as humans, we love to, to, uh, to, to be good people, but that doesn't get us to heaven. That does not save us. That does not repair our relationship with God. In order to be uh, reconciled to God, to be his children, we have to repent. We have to change our direction and to say, I'm going to fully place my trust in Christ. Yield it all to him. Lay it all down on the altar to him. Everything that I am and, and uh, my life, give it all to him. Can I tell you, friends, that that just makes sense? This morning, the, the Apostle Paul calls us to, to yield to the Holy Spirit, to lay down ourselves on the altar to Christ. And by the way, he says, it just makes sense. It just makes sense. It's reasonable. Let's finish with a word of prayer this morning. I thank you, Lord, for the opportunity, once again, that we've had to look at your word and your scripture I pray that you would guide each one of our thoughts and our hearts to examine ourselves. I pray that uh, where I've spoken truth this morning, the truth of your word, that it would impact our hearts. Where I've said something that uh, possibly is not the best way to say it or is not the best application, I pray that you would that you would remove those things from our hearts and that we would only see what it is that you want to say to us this morning in your word. I pray that you'd help each one of us to look inwardly to see how it is that we can change, how we can be more yielded to you, and how we can draw closer to you and become more like Christ because of it. heads bowed and eyes closed, I want to give us an opportunity to respond and to do business with God if that's what needs to be done this morning. In a moment, I'm going to hand it back over to Pastor. But I want to give us time to think. Before we go out and eat lunch and get busy with other things, think about these things and ask the Lord if there's an area where he would say, you need to yield this area to me. Give us a few minutes here, a few moments, and we'll be finishing a word of prayer. I thank you, Lord, for once again just the time that we've had together here. I pray that as we go out and continue with our lives away from this holy place, I pray that you would help us to remember these things that we've seen in your word this morning. Bless the rest of this day. Help us to glorify you in it. In Christ's name I pray. Amen.